Revolution podcast. I am your host, Spencer Dirks. I'm alongside Dr. Bob Leonard. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Iowa Revolution. You can also email us, iowarevolutionpod at gmail.com. This is our first episode, Dr. Bob. So welcome in. Good to be with you. Well, it's good to be here, Spencer. It should be fun. Interesting and fun, I hope. First of all, we're liberals, and that's sort of the idea behind this podcast is we're liberals in a red state and we want our voice and our values to be shared because I think that there are a lot of people that are fed up with the Republican leadership in this state. Lots of people. Lots of people. Kim Rahm's polling numbers are okay. She's only down three points. She still has a majority of people that like her, but they don't like her policy on on public schools. 62% don't like it in the same range for abortion. There's lots of things going on, lots of moving parts, but there are people that uh, are just have really had it. And uh, the left is emerging. I was very happy to see a caucus event with Marion County Democrats the other day that was well-attended, enthusiastic people, some young people, some people I never saw before. So there's a lot of hope in this red state. Just to give you a little bit of background on who we are, again, I'm Spencer Dirks. He is Dr. Bob Leonard. We're both broadcasters. We work for a small-town radio station in south-central Iowa. It's very focused on news. You are basically the news editor. You also host a show on the station as well. And We both actually worked at the station for about 16 years. I'm coming up on 16 years. You've just passed about 16 years. So my total background is in broadcasting, whether it's sports, news, a bunch of different things, but you also have a little bit more of a background. You are Dr. Bob Leonard, and you explain how you got your doctorate and what it's in. Oh, boy. Um, I was a first-generation college student. I went to school on a wrestling scholarship. I'm a proud UNI alum, UNI wrestler. Fell in love with anthropology, went to the University of Washington in Seattle, Got my PhD there in 1986, went and worked for the Navajo and Hopi tribes, worked for the University of New Mexico for a while, went and worked, did field work in New Mexico. But my background is varied. I mean, I've done, I started doing construction. I've done that. I've been a car salesman, believe it or not. I've been a bartender. I've been a bouncer. I've been a, oh, what else have I been? A cab Uh, driver. Cab driver. It's just... I, lo- I am very interested in work. I want to know the dynamics of it, the people in it. So I've been a lot of different places and done a lot of different things. I've also published two books, uh, Yellow Cab, which was about your experience as an Albuquerque cab driver, and more recently, Deep Midwest, which was about kind of your experience both at the radio station and just life in small town Iowa. You also have a background in statistics. You are a statistics book. So uh, basically a polymath, which is great because we're going to be discussing a lot of different kinds of topics on this show, news, sports, culture. And I think without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into the first topic. You were actually on a syndicated radio program today. You were interviewed by Arnie Arneson. And you had just recently written a piece. You also have a blog on Substack that people should, if you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe to that and get that in your inbox. But you just had recently written a piece about basically Republican attacks on public schools. Of course, here in Iowa, they have just created the voucher program, which will be taking effect next fall. But I guess just tell us about that conversation, why they wanted you to be on and what your discussion was. 
Well, Arnie used to have a program with Stefan Schmidt. She lives in uh, in New Hampshire, and he was a political scientist here out of Iowa. And so New Hampshire, Iowa, they would talk about what was happening throughout the presidential process. And Stefan retired, and Arnie still hosting her program. And so she still has a lot of followers in Iowa. And she told me a whole bunch of people sent her my piece. Uh, was uh, drowning public schools in the bathtub. And right. Why... Republicans are doing it, and and it ties back to, oh, I tied it back to Grover Norquist, who was a, a tax reformer. I'm forgetting the exact name of his organization, but he said he wanted government small enough so that it could be drowned in a bathtub. Yep. And a lot of people will remember that. Well, that's exactly what Republicans have done to public schools. They're they're pulling them apart, taking public money and putting it into private hands and uh, putting all kinds of conditions on our schools. I heard one of my favorite teachers in Knoxville, I'm not going to say any names, but um, he's quit. Um, Another, a gay teacher has quit, doesn't see where he, you know, fits into the modern school environment. Teachers are disillusioned. But that's the purpose, that's what the Republican Party wants, to demoralize and slowly break down our public schools, no matter what they say. And it's, it's everything that they're doing. Uh, all of the um, extra burdens for the public schools, the reporting requirements, the fact that they've created an app so that parents can complain about a book. Kim Reynolds perhaps put in her own state librarian, and I think this is, didn't pass, but it was like if a book was banned in, in one school across the state, it was banned it, across all others. And it's just all of these extra requirements at the same time, still throwing about 6000 bucks at the private schools without any accountability. And you can spend it on anything that you want. Um, for example, a friend was talking about his daughter and son-in-law where they have uh, sending kids to Xavier in Cedar Rapids. They'd already budgeted their school tuition. It was already in their budget for the kids. But so, so they're real, real happy about it because now they're paying bills with that money. Right. Our money... That should have gone to public schools. Republicans are always saying, oh, you know, it's the majority of the budget. It should be the majority of the budget. We went uh, from being the best in the nation to somewhere in the middle. middle. Of the yeah. 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 And it's everything that you see them doing. It's about destabilizing schools and slowly, slowly strangling it. And so why would they do that? Well, one thing is that since Reagan, they've been talking about well, the private sector can do it better. Well, you know, we know that that's not necessarily true. There's lots of things the government does very, very well, like our roads and, and our military and all kinds of things. SNAP payments, for one thing, are very, very right. good. But we could go through the list. But they're they're slowly dismantling it. They've been doing it for a long time. And the, the purpose is, there's a couple of purposes. First, it's to take public money supposedly for the public good and put it into private hands so the private private industry can profit. Just like they want to privatize Social Security, yeah. Medicare, all those sorts of things, yeah. Right, and with the schools, something like 180-some private schools, all but like six of them are, are Christian schools. So if they give this free money to the Christian schools, that reinforces Republican, and not all Christians believe this, not all Christians believe it's good. I don't think the majority of Christians think that this is a good idea. But it fits in with those schools that more adhere to their ideology. So the goal is to take our money, public money, and put it into private schools. That'll promote their ideology. It's certainly going to be reinforced more in those schools than it would be 
in any public schools. Right, and they act like, oh, all the, the private Christian schools are wonderful and perfect. Well, we know better than that. Right. All schools have problems. Well, and especially when you look at other places around the country that have charter schools or private schools that get public money, there's been a lot of misuse of those funds because there is a whole lot of oversight for the public schools in our state and there's really very little to no oversight of the private schools. So then we don't even really know where our money is going. We have no idea. It's, and it's like a, a friend of mine in Oskaloosa oh, a few weeks ago said, Xavier comes here and kicks our asses in football every year. Next year, they're going to come and tricked out buses right. to kick our ass. Right. On our dime. Yeah. Right. On our dime. Right. That also kind of brings me to the next topic is just recently Governor Reynolds signed the the bathroom bill, I guess is what it's mainly been called, where you have to go to the bathroom that you were designated on your birth certificate. If you were born a male, you have to go in the boys' restroom. If you're born a female, you have to go to the girls' restroom. That goes for faculty, staff, and students. It also took effect within 24 hours of them signing the bill, which made all of these schools in Iowa scramble because I'm sure that many schools in the state have situations which they were completely fine with of students that were using the bathroom that they felt most comfortable using. Uh, Art Cullen, uh, your friend from the Storm Lake Times, Pulitzer Prize winner, recently wrote an article called Policing Where We Pee in the Storm Lake Times. This is a quote from... Uh, Representative Stephen Holt, a a Republican from Denison, uh, talking about the bathroom bill. I'm not interested in waiting until the child is raped in a restroom by someone pretending to be transgender, end quote. And as Art said in his piece, wow, it's hard to know where to start. So back to some basics. What's inherently wrong with unisex bathrooms? They have them in other places. You come out of the stall and a woman is washing her hands. Good morning to you. Was she a woman? Was she transgender? She has clean hands, and that's what matters. Yeah. Well, and if, it was, if they weren't interested in the disruption part of it, they would have given them some time to comply. They want them all running around with their, like, chickens with their heads cut off. So then they can say, look, they're dysfunctional. Yeah. So yeah. now we need to be able to send that money to places that, in their minds, are more functional. Right. And so what they do is they've been underfunding the schools, asking them to do more. And so when they when they you know have some troubles doing it, that becomes justification for not only funneling money into the private hands, but also for lowering taxes for the rich. It's win, 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 and they're giving away with it. Right. Yeah. So the rich are paying less taxes and they're also getting a little kickback so they can send their kids. Like you said, most of these people already have that budgeted. They already know that, okay, we can afford this or they might be getting... A scholarship, whatever the case may be. And I heard an example on the radio when this was being discussed that uh, from one of our local representatives that now those parents can get braces for their kids. Yeah. And it's like, okay, great. I wouldn't really mind paying for braces for the kids, but not just so you can send them to the school of your choice with my $7,500. Right. And, you know, there's a couple of things that we need to respond with. One is a science-based thing to respond to that. And the other is a values-based kind of thing. Let's start with the science and end on values. The science is that gender sexuality is very complex. We've known this for 100 years. It's not just XX, XY. It's not. About 2% of, I've seen different numbers on it, but it settles about 2% 
of children are born with ambiguous genitalia. Okay, and I know I have friends who had a child with ambiguous genitalia, and it was a very tough decision for their parents which direction the child needed to go with consultation with the doctors and medical authorities and experts in the field. There's also chemistry that goes on. There's also, you know, all kinds of different things. There's, there's society. There's just the basic biology of it isn't binary. It's very complex, but they want to act like, oh, Follow the science, it's boys and girls. No, it's not, and it has never been. But what has happened is that in the past, society has managed to repress those people that don't fit those norms. Now, they're not able to anymore, which is why we're seeing we didn't have any gay uh, kids uh, when I was in school. Well, now, <laughs> now I learn there were uh, several, I mean, it was a small school, but there were several gay kids. Right. But so they were repressed then, Trans people were oppressed then, and they're still trying to repress them now. And and they're um, and they're just seeking to be recognized, seeking to be to exist. And the Republicans are trying to take them out of society, take them out of our classrooms, take them out of our libraries. I have a friend that has a, a friend all the way back from high school, and I put I put a piece up on the Substack. Uh, uh, Republicans are trying requiring teachers to out gay and trans kids. And she commented that my great niece is always telling everybody how much she loves her two moms. She's four years old. They're criminalizing the classroom. So who goes to jail? Does the, uh, They haven't set the penalties yet, but who's the criminal? Is the teacher the criminal when the little girl says, I love my two moms? Are the two moms the criminal? Are the, is the child the criminal? The people that are listening? The superintendent? It's, it's crazy. Right. And, and, uh, and did you see the school in Florida that in uh, art history class that there was a statue yeah, of David? Yeah, the statue of David, yeah. And the teacher had to resign, was basically forced to resign. You know, that was in a Christian school. Yeah. I didn't know it was in a Christian school. I just learned that. So they're coming after their own, too, which is just... So we can't teach about, apparently, about the Civil War. Rosa Parks is being erased from history books. Who thinks that this is a good idea? This is... It's just... I don't know. It's it's hard to describe... People say it's hyperbole. People say it's exaggeration. People say it's misinformation. No, they're trying to change the very fabric of our society and erase history. Yeah, they're trying to get rid of people, erase things that they don't like from the history. Speaking of, KCCI recently posted, they did a story about a family that was thinking about moving. They had a transgender child. And, of course, half of the comments were by good riddance, don't let the door hit you. So there you go. They want to basically outlaw, they want to force gays, lesbians, transgender people out of the state. And that's, again, that's not just hyperbole. I saw the people myself saying good riddance. Well, and Republicans want this because they're probably driving up mostly Democratic voters and helps them consolidate their power. And they and teachers aren't coming. I was talking to a, a small school, very small school principal yesterday. He can't find anybody to hire. And he, and he told me that he thinks Republicans are purposely trying to uh, destroy the public schools, and he's a Republican. Yeah. 
I mean, there won't be people left like you and I in a generation from now because I are, I are, I've had the discussion with my girlfriend, like, should we get out of here? How would we get out of here? And then you think, well, we need to stay and fight, and we need, which is part of the reason why we're doing this podcast, because I don't want to flee, because then that just gives more power to the Republicans. But again, that's what they're after. Like, again, buy, have fun, so we can have this Republican utopia in the state of Iowa with all of this money going to the Catholic schools and the Christian schools, and we're left with no more gays or lesbians or transgenders. Well, and the purpose also is the purpose, the attack on education isn't just you know in uh, our elementary and even our preschools and our high schools. It's also on the colleges, underfunding the colleges. Now, why would that be? Wouldn't a, a more educated population be better for the state? Well, no more more educated people tend to vote Democratic, and they don't want that. They want to pull apart those institutions as well. And why would they want to do that? Not only for getting the vote, but also because they don't want us educated enough to be doing so we don't have to work at convenience. They want more people in convenience stores uh, and in jobs that aren't necessarily the best jobs in the world because they need us to support their businesses. Well, yeah, so they, it's going to be our kids and grandkids, not theirs. Right. And they also want 14 and 15-year-old kids to work in you know, meatpacking plants or be able to use chemicals that they can't currently use because of our works. You know, we have a worker shortage. Right. Our unemployment rate is like 2.9% right now. Like if you want a job, you can go get a job. And of course, the real way that we'd be able to solve that issue is increased immigration. But that goes against all the Republican ideology as well. I think it could have happened, but Trump is so deep. It could have happened before. There was actually a bipartisan immigration bill that passed, but Trump wouldn't sign. And I think but we've gone further than that. They've so demonized immigrants that... It's going to be a while before we can get it back. But that that I put mostly on Trump. And it's purely political. Yeah. Because it's, first of all, racist. Because when you say the term immigrant, you immediately think of people from Mexico, Central America, South America. And, and the Republicans, obviously Trump ran on their rapists and murderers and, and drug dealers and drug users. But... That's, first of all, not the case. And secondly, their idea, the Republicans' idea, is if we let those Mexicans into our state or those Central Americans, then they're going to vote for Democrats. So it's purely political. It's, pure, it's purely political. It's also illogical. I was going to say, and it doesn't even, I mean, that's not even true in every case either, because a lot of those people are Catholic, they're very religious. I mean, a lot of immigrants are could be Republican voters. I had a piece in the New York Times with Christy DePena and David Ullman, who's former uh, chief of staff for Governor Ray, and uh, back when we brought in the people from uh, after the Vietnam War, talking about the need for more immigration and the fact that here's the equation. We need people. Here's the logic. We need more people. 26 million people are refugees around the world. Do the math. We can help them. And our goal and our the main point of our piece was to give states more control. Because then if states have more control over who comes in, then it's not politicized. It's, there's 24 uh, Republican governors, I believe, and 26 sure. Democratic ones. And so if they can all decide 
who they want to bring in in what numbers then it, but doesn't as it isn't a political issue it'll be states competing for immigrants and the states that were immigrant friendly would be business friendly right and their you know, their economies would sizzle right. but then it isn't the republicans having to not do to not go along with anything that the federal government now joe biden kamala harris would like we are pretty much in the middle of caucus season so i think it's time for some cock talk we had several different people already stop by the state, Trump and Pence, namely. Nikki Haley's been here. You were at the Mike Pence event, which, by the way, I do want to mention, you mentioned Republicans not only not underfunding public schools, but also Iowa Wesleyan University. You may have seen a 181-year-old institution in Mount Pleasant, Iowa, is no longer. At the end of this school year, there will be no more Iowa Wesleyan University. So I didn't know if you had heard that. but Yeah, I'd heard that. And part of the thing was, just to put a bow on that real quick, is they had actually asked Governor Reynolds, we had gotten those ARPA funds, the American Rescue Plan Act funds, they had requested $12 million. And I'm not saying I disagree with her reasoning, because they had had issues going back to at least 2018, where they were, they basically been on the verge of closing for the past four or five years. But it is just another institution of higher learning in the state of Iowa that is no longer available to kids in Southeast Iowa. Right. And I know a lot of people that went there and sure. valued their right. time there. Yeah. Well, and part of it is, too, is that we've had this this thing going on the last 10 or 15 years where they say, oh, college is up for everyone. Well, you know what? You don't know that until you're in college. Exactly. Right. You know, I didn't. I thought I was going to be a carpenter. And then right. I was able to get into college on an athletic scholarship. And then all of a sudden, you know. I went the world from, was open. That's right. right. And I did, you know, I did well enough. Right. And uh, learned a lot and had a good time, but I would have I would have probably never gone without that, that opportunity. Now we're we're encouraging kids not to go, right. and so we can fill those jobs. And so the, or to go to a trade school, you know, go to yeah, learn and, to be a, a carpenter or a welder or whatever, which are good mm-hmm. jobs. But again, you're not opening people's worlds by teaching them how to be a welder. Well, you're opening up the world. You're opening financially. Up, well, right. Financially, but also intellectually, if it's something that you like and you, and you can intellectualize and it becomes like you're doing your art, like we were doing with carpentry, I could intellectualize that and that was fine. But, you know, um, in about by the time you're about 45, you're about done with carpentry. Right. I mean, you're about done with a lot of jobs. Yep. And so the thing, the thing is that when I was growing up, we did two things. We, all, we did... Like, you know, I did carpentry, other kids did mechanics, you know, I don't remember what the girls did. Um, they studied home ec or, right. you know, it's been so long. But I have nothing against any of those jobs. But everybody deserves at least a glimpse of where their path might be. But now, I believe um, that when I was going to school, we paid about 25% of our tuition, the state picked up the rest because they saw it as an investment. Right. Now, it's the reverse, yeah. where the person picks up 75% yep. and the state picks up 25% of that. And so I just think that all kinds of options should be on the table, but if a lot of kids intellectually bloom late. And so, I mean, 18 years old, <laughs> you, you don't know a lot about what you want to do. But if you've been told since you're in elementary school that you don't need college. Right. So and you're not going to go to college. Right. Right. A friend is a soccer coach. She said uh, 15 years ago, 
kids would talk about where they're going to go to school. Now they're talking about, hey, we don't have to go to school. That's not right. Back to Mike Pence. Oh, okay. Uh, a bit of no, you're fine. I I kind of veered us towards that again, but. Mike Pence was here just recently. In fact, he was here, I believe, last Tuesday, which was the day that President Trump had truthed uh, or tweeted that he was going to be arrested. And you were at that event. Speaking of Mike Pence, before I get your thoughts on his rally, or I guess he kind of had a press conference, um, a judge has just ruled that he cannot avoid the subpoena, that he will have to testify about his conversations pre-January 6th with Donald Trump. So that's also a little bit of new news. But you were there. Uh, He was asked about President Trump being arrested and what his thoughts were. And we've had this discussion off the air, but I'm most interested in kind of the media response to what he said. Because you were there, you saw how it was covered afterwards, and it seemed as though the press was giving both Trump and Pence a pass maybe or trying to tie them together where it was well this is just you know political theater this is just uh you know election interference is kind of what they're going with now but that's kind of twisting really what he said well yeah and i think i need to fix the dates a little bit to get it right i think he announced on a Friday or Thursday that he, I think it was a Friday that he was going to be arrested. And that's the, but it was going to be the day. Yeah, that, too. Yeah. yeah, right. But I was Pence was in Iowa that day, but where I saw him was it sat was Saturday. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. All right. And so it was just it was interesting. It was with Joni Ernst. She brought in Pence and some other politicians, and it was a. Oh, I don't know, maybe 100 people downtown and a good media crew, some of our really good political reporters. And and first, let me say that nothing I ever say is going to be critical of our political reporters, but nobody understands the pressure that we all are under. First, you want to retain access to them. Second, you want to be polite. And being polite sometimes means just taking whatever they say as an answer and then moving on. And then everybody's competing to get their question in. And so it's this really easy environment for the politician to thrive in because right. there's all these different competing forces. And it's like, if I, say, if I say something to you, Spencer, what do you think about this? And then you say, well, this and that and this and the other. And if the Republicans are saying all kinds of outrageous things, which one are you going to unpack? Okay. And so Pence says, he says a couple of, he starts off. And, he, and if you see him, you see anybody asking him about this, he'll say, oh, it's all politically motivated. Right. It's an attack by a, liberal, by a liberal prosecutor in a liberal place in Manhattan. It's all an attack. It's all political. President Trump can take care of himself, you know, blah, you know, blah, blah, blah. But first is laughable. Um, <laughs> right. President Trump has never taken care of himself since he was in diapers. <laughs> but the, the thing was is that people were asking about about the, the pending arrest that still hasn't happened. And his, and his excuse was it was political. It doesn't matter if it's political. Everything is political. What matters is the facts. Right. And so I sort of pushed him 
and I've got the audio and I've, I've done this story on my Substack. And who was actually very good at that event was Joni Ernst, because I asked Joni Ernst about the pending arrest and she and uh, and that um, Trump's calls for protest. And she said to me, it's not OK. It's not OK. And then I said, well, what, what do you think about it? And she says, I, I have to wait and see. I have to wait and see. That's the right answer. That's the answer Mike Pence should have said. Kim Reynolds, a couple days later, came out and said, oh, it's all politically motivated. That's a red herring. It doesn't matter. If there's no facts, it's not going anywhere. Just like Jim Jordan wanted to do an investigation into the weaponization of the Justice Department by the Biden administration. He's doing the investigation. He had no evidence, so it didn't go anywhere. Exactly. And so Pence just keeps repeating this. And then finally I said something like, but what if he broke the law? What if he broke the law? And Pence looks at me, and his people try to hustle him off. And I said, but what if he broke the law? And he said, finally, no man is above the law. And so all the other reporters reported and this is part of the art of reporting and part of the, the responsibility of, and I'm not saying I had it right, but where most other people said, Pence says... Politically motivated. Yeah, right. Pence says the arrest is politically motivated. I would have led with, Pence says no man is above the law. Right. Because that's what I was looking for him to say. Right. But he said it begrudgingly, and then... I don't know. I'm not being critical, but it's so hard. To, it's so hard to press. For example, um, Chuck Grassley. I interviewed Chuck Grassley once a month for 15 years, and then I interviewed him two days after the insurrection, and he was still shaking from it. Mm-hmm. He told me in Newton that there was no way that he didn't see any way Trump could be in the Republican Party anymore. He could play no leadership role, and he was just still stunned and then slowly he got back on the Trump train and then in July of last year I was asking what do you think of the July 6th hearings and they said no no one's up talking about that nobody cares nobody ever brings it up it's no big deal I said but aren't you curious you were there you and I talked and he said oh you know no it's not important I'm working on constituent issues and I said you were there don't you care and so I kept pressing that and finally he said let God let go And I said, what's that even mean? And he said, well, it's in God's hands. So accountability for Trump in heaven (laughs) and not here on earth. Well, And and then Laura Bellin picked it up, who's one of the best political analysts in the U.S. I mean, she's just incredible. She picked it up and pulled that apart and said nice things about me for continuing to press because a lot of us don't. I rarely don't. That's the first time I really pressed him in 16 years because I still wanted to talk to him. I still wanted access. And now I can't talk to him anymore. Well, yeah, and you you were also the conduit for people like me and the entire community that we live in. So it's like, and same thing for those other reporters too. It's not just your personal access to him. It's also his constituents' access to him. Correct. So if you lose that access... We are all hurt by that. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, there's also no consequence for him because 
who notices that Grassley isn't on once a month anymore? Have you gotten an email that said, hey, where's Grassley at this I've moment? I've had people say, where's Grassley? They used to love the, the Grassley ones because I would press him a little bit. But his staff also once said, hey, you're a legend in our office because you ask him tough questions. Right. It's like, <laughs> so I thought he enjoyed it. Or maybe they were just you know, BSing me or something. But I thought we had a good working relationship then. Well, it also didn't help that the New York trip, Gabriel with the New York Times picked up my interview and tweeted it. Right. A little village picked it up. It got some traction. Let go, let God. Right. That was definitely a pretty horrible line that a lot of people across the country were pretty aghast that he yeah. would say something like that. Yeah. Some good news. Uh, Back to pants. Don't time, forget pants. Time is flying. Uh <laughs> Well, I guess anything else? Pence is an empty suit. There's nothing there. The man has no morality. He has no sense of honor, no dignity. And and it all comes with a fake radio voice. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he was a pathetic creature there. I had a hard time how he could... Trump was calling for him. The rioters were calling for him to be hanged. And now he's, Trump's okay. Right. He's defending him. Right. None of them should be defending him. They should have cast him aside long ago. Some good news. Uh, We are kind of nearing the end. It's hard to believe that we're already however long we are into this podcast. This is the Iowa Revolution podcast, by the way. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Iowa Revolution. If you want to email us, please do iowarevolutionpod at gmail.com. Again, iowarevolutionpod at gmail.com. I am Spencer Dirks alongside Dr. Bob Leonard. Iowa women's basketball, it's not too far, or you don't have to look too far to find good news in the state of Iowa right now. The Iowa women's basketball is in the Final Four for the first time since 1993, so it's been 30 years. I was 10 years old the last time that they were in the Final Four under C. Vivian Stringer, a longtime legendary Iowa Hawkeye women's basketball coach. But now they're back. Uh, They will take on South Carolina on Friday evening at 8.30 p.m. Uh, Caitlin Clark added to her accolades first player ever in a men's or women's tournament game with a 40 point triple double amazing just unreal and she gets all sorts of publicity i mean john cena tweeted about her today because she did the you can't see me you know motion during the game is that what that was i don't know if that's to be honest i didn't know if that was what it was or not but john cena apparently took it that way so might as well take the sure the Publicity while you can. I mean, Stephen A. Smith. I mean, who? LeBron James, Kevin Durant, a who's who of basketball media, NBA players, of course, WNBA players. I mean, she is the talk of the country right now. And I also just saw that I think some of this has to do with the fact that the men's Final Four is a pretty weak field. It's UConn, Miami, FAU, which is Florida Atlantic, and San Diego State. So not really a whole lot of brand name basketball teams in the Final Four. But the women's tournament, tickets to get in at similar seats is three times what the men's tournament is. So to get into the women's tournament in Houston, uh, I believe it's Houston. They're both, both in Texas. One's in Dallas, one's in Houston. But yeah, the women's basketball tournament is three times more expensive to get a seat than it is for the men's basketball tournament. And that's 75% at least because of Caitlin Clark. Born and raised in the state of Iowa from Des Moines and continuing to make a name for herself as an Iowa Hawkeye. 
Is she the greatest Iowa athlete to have ever lived? Probably. Probably. I mean, I, the only other people I could think of would be, like, I mean, Spencer Lee, mm-hmm. a wrestler, or you could name, you know, some other wrestlers that would Dang be in that. I mean, the Brands brothers would yeah. be in that conversation. And Gable obviously wrestled for Iowa State and then coached for Iowa. So, you know, you couldn't really call him a Hawkeye athlete. He but I mean all of Iowa. Right. Just people that were born in Iowa. Yeah. Niall Kinnick would yeah. be in the, But, I mean, when you're talking about you're in a conversation with the Brands brothers and Niall Kinnick yeah. for the greatest athlete from Iowa of all time. Not only that, but she also has one more year left to go at least because she also has the COVID year. She was, you know, she started in 2019 was her first season. So she's, she could stay another two years. And with name, image, and likeness, uh, she's making some pretty damn good money. She's an H&R Block spokesperson. Hy-Vee has signed her. Uh, she's a Nike, you know, sponsored athlete. I mean, she's probably making close to seven figures, if not already seven figures already. So there may not be a whole lot of incentive for her to get to the WNBA or get to the pros before two years from now. So she's already got the team to the final four and has collected all these records. First player ever in one season to have 900 points and 300 assists in one season. I mean, you could go on and on about her, but yeah. Go ahead. I mean, it's fun. It is. And it, I mean, they have a tough test. South Carolina is 11 and a half point favorites in their game on Friday night. They're just that good. Um, they are stellar defensively. It's going to be really hard for Caitlin to to be able to score at the level she's used to. And I wouldn't bet on the Iowa women to, to win this game. But the fact that they made it this far when they were a two seed weren't necessarily picked to make it to the final four just gives us that much more, you know, reason to pull for them. They're the underdog, even though they're a great team. Yeah, well, it's going to be a fun game. Want to cap things off? Uh, Again, this is the Iowa Revolution podcast. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure you get this in your inbox. We'll do this on a weekly basis uh, with Dr. Bob and I. We're also planning on bringing in guests and other co-hosts at some periods, too. Um, I'm really excited to, to get this off the ground and have a weekly conversation with you and hopefully get the word out hopefully let people know that they're not alone in the state of iowa that there are people that think similar to you even though we're in a sea of red spencer's top five i don't know if you've looked at this yet have you looked at the, I, I what my top five is i love your top five even though most of the time i it's it's information that was after my time. So. Right. A lot of them are based on 90s and 2000s. I mean, I was born in 1983. You were born in... 54. 50, 54, okay. Uh, this week's top five is top five Bill Murray movies. If you disagree, again, follow us on Twitter at Iowa Revolution and let me know how wrong I am and which movies should be in the top five. We'll do this every week and it will change. We'll do foods and movies and songs and all that sort of stuff. Top five Bill Murray movies. Number five... What about Bob? Never saw it. Really? No. With Richard Dreyfus? No. It's a fantastic movie. You should see it. Check it out. Yeah, it's hilarious. Basically, he just plays a nuisance that stays as like a house guest with these people. And when did that come out? Oh, it would have been probably early to mid 90s. It's been a long time. I mean, yeah, kind of a long time. Yeah, I was. (laughs) 1978 when I started grad school till about 2000. I've. Working hard in the academic world. So <laughs> right. I, I missed a lot, missed a of, lot of movies at that point. Yeah. All right, number five, what about Bob? Number four is Ghostbusters. I saw that. Have you seen Ghostbusters? Yeah, I love Ghostbusters. Classic movie. Number three is Kingpin. 
yeah, that I avoided that because anything with with that appears to have like teenage boy humor in it. It's I, very vulgar. Yeah, I yeah. tend to avoid. It's yeah, kind of the epitome of teenage boy humor, to be honest. I mean, it's definitely. Yeah. Made for fourteen-year-old boys, yeah, like that. Which it came out when I was like thirteen or fourteen <laughs> or whatever. So it's definitely I keep it in high regard. So yeah, that's my number three Bill Murray movie. Number two is Scrooged, probably one of my top two Christmas movies as well. No, Scrooged. I like that too. It's an excellent movie, funny but also very heartfelt. The ending is fantastic. Number one, can you guess what number one is? No, Caddyshack. Caddyshack. Of course. I never, I've never seen Caddyshack. Oh my god, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Yeah, I know. <laughs> everybody else in the world, I'm the only person in the world that's. I've, I'm the only person. I'm only also the only person in the world that's never seen The Office. Oh yeah, but that's all right. To be honest, I didn't. I really didn't like The Office for a long, long time. A mutual friend of ours, Nathan Sage, made me watch it basically, and I got into it. And it's sort of like, you know, we were talking about Scrooge. It's funny, but it's also heartfelt, too. Like, I think you might like the humanness of it. May not necessarily be your kind of humor, but I think it's the kind of show that you would get into. Maybe. Well, maybe. So, I'll probably just keep saying I've never seen it. <laughs> uh, also, outside looking in my OLIs this week, uh, Bill Murray movies didn't quite make the top five, but Zombieland, the only reason that's not in the top five is it's not really a Bill Murray movie. Have you ever seen Zombieland? No. It's got uh, Woody Harrelson is the star of it, uh, along with Jesse Eisenberg, who played Mark Zuckerberg in the social network. But Bill Murray makes a cameo. I don't want to give any spoilers away, um, but he's fantastic. In the five minutes that he's in it, fantastic. And then St. Vincent. Have you ever seen St. Vincent? No. That's an excellent movie. That is a movie that you will... Out of all the movies that I, I like listed, that. see that before What About Bob, see that before Caddyshack. It's basically about this uh, boy. His mom works a lot, so the neighbor, Bill Murray, takes care of him. He's a gruff, old asshole, basically, which Bill Murray plays a great, gruff, old asshole. And uh, you will cry at the end of the movie. You'll absolutely, And not tears of joy. Not It's not a sad movie, but it's, it's very heartwarming, it's very funny, and quirky and very so good. can you give us a hint on what next week's will be so people might want to be thinking about that to to counter your rankings well next week is will be an easter time so we'll do we'll do top five reese's shapes reese's shapes yes. reese's yes. pieces candies no reese's peanut butter cups oh okay top five shapes i thought there was just the one shape. we might even do two next week Okay. But again, if you don't agree with me, if you think I'm a dumbass, at Iowa Revolution on Twitter, Art Cullen is already a follower of ours, so I feel nice. very proud of that. Uh, so make sure that you join the Art Cullen Club and follow us on Twitter, at Iowa Revolution. Uh, also, you can email us again at Iowa Revolution Pod. Again, Iowa Revolution Pod at gmail.com. I'm Spencer Dirks. Dr. Bob, anything else? No, if you disagree with us, make a reasoned argument, and we will uh, reconsider our Absolutely. Position. I'm totally, yeah, we are open to any uh, comments, suggestions, any topics that you would like to hear us discuss, or maybe, you know, guests that you would like to have on the show, or if you yourself might want to be a guest on the show, reach out to us. We'd be glad to talk with you. And we may be mistaken. 
We may be wrong. We may be ignorant. Sure. But we'll never lie to you. We'll never pull a Fox News on you. No, absolutely not. Everything that we say is at least from our point of view, the truth. And not the truth as we see it, but what the truth is. So, Because I mentioned that we're liberals, but I don't have a problem agreeing with Republicans either. It's not like we're, you know, just calling out war on Republicans. I would like to be able to get some of those people to, to come over to our side. And you're not going to do that by to lying to them. Well, I'm going to lay out a baseline here, too. There's two kinds of knowledge. One kind of knowledge is subjective knowledge. That is knowledge that only a certain group of people is privileged to, like knowledge like, uh, oh, I love my dad, or what I had breakfast for breakfast this morning. That's subjective. I know it, and a few other people might know that. Then there's objective knowledge that is in the public domain that everybody has access to, to evaluate and consider. And in the objective knowledge world, we can all interact and then... make the world a better place great way to end it we'll see you next week again at iowa revolution Uh, make sure you again subscribe to this uh, podcast we'll be coming to you on substack on a weekly basis also make sure that you subscribe to dr bob's uh, substack as well Uh, it's called deep midwest correct yeah google robert leonard deep midwest and you'll find it boom we'll see you next week looking forward to it